Welcome, friends. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences, the weekly radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where you get witty and charming conversation about the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers of our time. I'm Dr. Gracie Christie. I'm your hostess, and I am joined today by my good friend and colleague, Legal Legal of the Catholic Association, Andrea Picciotti Bayer. Hello, Andrea. Hey, Gracie. It's great to be here with you. Finally having you back in the nation's capital. It seems like all is right in Washington when you're here. Oh, yes. Everything's much better. And to our listeners, if you're listening on the radio, you're listening at 11 a.m. on Fridays on the Guadalupe Radio Network. If you're not listening on the radio, then you're listening to our podcast, and you can do that for free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe at thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts. Today, we have a very interesting um, array of guests. Today, we have our Carrie Gress, who she and I share a taste in shoes. <laughs> very chic shoes when we can find them on the sale rack, on the, on the very discounted sale rack. She's a doctor of philosophy and, an, and the editor of the online women's magazine, Theology of the Home. She's the author of numerous books. Uh, her latest book is The Anti-Mary Exposed, and that was just released in March. And she has another book coming out. I don't know where she finds the time. I think she also has several children and a, and a needy husband like everyone else. Um, and that will be out in September 24th, on September 24th. Hello, Carrie. Thank Hi. you for coming. Thanks so much for having me. We can, we're going to talk about shoes later, but now Absolutely. we're going <laughs> to... Well, let me introduce our other guest, Mallory Millett. She was involved, you may recognize the last name, she was involved with her sister Kate's communist activities in the 1960s, and she witnessed the rise of radical feminism before leaving that world and voting for Reagan. So she's made a very big turn. And she's also a member of the Actors Studio. She's produced and starred in several films. And let's see, she, oh my gosh, you're a writer whose most prominent work was Marxist Feminism's Ruined Lives. That must be a very good book. Well, it's not a book. It was an article that was published in Front Page Magazine online. Oh my and gosh. Well, I'm going to read it. It sounds fascinating. It, it's uh, quite an article. It's made quite a splash, mm -hmm. I guess. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. I can't tell you. It's just wonderful. Well, one of the reasons why I was super thrilled that Carrie and, and Mallory agreed to come on is that um, I look at the state of womanhood, especially in, in the U.S., having been out of the country for several years, and I'm kind of scared. <laughs> and, and there have been moments, especially in the last couple of years, uh, where women who should be light and and beautiful are behaving and screaming and acting in ways that are not befitting of our beautiful sex. And um, I stumbled across, uh, through Dear Friendships, uh, the book that Carrie most recently published, The Anti-Mary Exposed, and, and it helped me to understand a little bit of how we got to where we are. And so hopefully we can talk a little bit with you, Carrie, and with Mallory about um, the the traction that the feminist movement had, especially um, in our generations, and what it's done to womanhood, and what what pro what's the antidote? <laughs> yeah, all incredible questions. I think um, you know it, it was fascinating to write this book because one of the things that I realized was that the kind of the, the the die was cast, so to speak, back in the 1960s by people like Kate Millett and um, 
it hasn't changed very much. I think it, it's fascinating to look at how many of the lies that they implanted in the culture haven't been debunked. You know, things like our children are an obstacle to our happiness and our careers and um, all of those kinds of realities. Even the sound bites we hear in Hollywood these days, you know, they're complaining a lot about the heartbeat bill in Alabama and Georgia and all of these um, pro-life victories that seem seem to be happening. And they keep using the same sound bites, but they're not recognizing science. They're not recognizing that, yes, after 50 years, there are women that regret their abortions and that wish that they had really had an, an, another choice and another opportunity to raise those children. And um, so it, it's been a really interesting project to look at how these things started back in the 1960s and how you know, we just haven't been able to let them go because we've been influenced by them so heavily. Um, and yet, how do we uh, turn to something better and good and beautiful, which is what I think so many of us are craving? And um, so I wanted to make sure that the book had both, the, you know, what's happened and how we got there. But I also, the second half of the book is very much um, a light side of the book. How do we make this, how do we make this beautiful? How Harry, do we return Harry, when to... you said about not recognizing the the reality, I think one of the realities that I, I noticed that people, women aren't recognizing, especially when you see very angry women like the Women's March, and mm-hmm. uh, it's that women aren't happier. Yeah, and, and that's a that's almost a that's a quantifiable reality, yeah. right? No, absolutely, and that's one of the things that I I always come back to is look at these metrics. I mean, if feminism was in fact authentically good for women, we would see these things increasing. We wouldn't see suicide, depression. Um, divorce, STDs, all of these s- signals that we have some incredibly unhappy women um, rising, and and that is in fact what they're doing. Um, so no, you're you're right. I think that's really fundamentally what it comes back to, and how we can sort of start shaking up the culture to say, look, you're not an authentically happy, peaceful, joyful woman. There's definitely some pieces that are missing in your life. You may be living your life according to the script of feminism. But um, is it really making you happy? So I think that's always a great place to start with the the culture at large. One of the great aspects of this book that you wrote, Carrie, is it's very historical and it and it tra- walks all of us through what what happened. And Mallory, it's such a treat to have you here because you were there. And and reading a lot about this and reading about your own life, I kept f- feeling like I wanted to rescue you. Because, oh my gosh, you were in the middle of like crazy town. Um, and, and maybe you can explain a little bit about what was it, what it was like to grow up um, kind of next to your sister, Kate, who was one of the, the leaders of this great feminist movement, what you saw, what was frightening, um, and how you were able to kind of save yourself and a lot of other people from it. And Mallory, maybe as you address that question, you could talk about the issue of happiness. Were were these women looking for happiness? No, I think they were hell-bent on destruction. I don't think happiness (laughs) was their goal at all. (laughs) Uh, What I, um, you see, when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, women were beautiful, There were very beautiful women all over the place. You know, I didn't even realize then how beautiful women were until we've had the loss of beauty now. The thing that I lament so much now in my present-day life is the almost complete loss of beauty. Beauty is no longer a value in our culture anymore at at, at all. I mean, 
you you seldom see a really beautiful woman. And I can't get over how Melania Trump is so maligned. She's one of the most gorgeously beautiful, exquisitely beautiful women I've ever seen in my entire life. Mallory, I, you know, when you're saying this, I'm, I want to understand what you're saying because uh, I think this is what you're... The other day I was looking through some old pictures of my mother uh, in the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s in Cuba. Uh, oh. and, and she's um, young. She's... 15, 16, 17 years old, and she's at a party, and she's cutting a birthday cake, and everybody looks fabulous. <laughs> the women are stunning. Their hair is perfect, and they're beautifully <laughs> dressed, and there's so much care for that, for that, that womanliness, um, that, that way that, the, that, the, that a woman brings all this, this physical beauty to her environment. It was really, yes. and, and, I, and I thought to myself, if I took all these people and I just transposed them to our day, right, 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds, they would look like heck, right? Mm. You wouldn't want to keep the pictures. There wouldn't be pictures you'd be looking at 40 years later and saying, wow, what a beautiful set of people. Oh, it's just that's so true, you know. And the thing is that um, beauty was a very big, big value in every way, not just in people, but in everywhere you looked, uh, people were trying to create beauty. And I remember the so many women in my family were just gorgeous. They were beautifully dressed and beautifully mannered and so elegant and graceful and and well, sweet and kind. That, that, that's a good point, that, it, that the beauty that you speak of isn't just a physical beauty, no. but it's a manner of being. And I was struck um, in, in recounting the tales of Kate, your sister, mm. and the other women uh, of this movement, there was a level of vulgarity oh. and mm. ugliness. Um, and, and we don't want to make this all super dark and ugly, um, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't womanly. But they were after that. They really, they wanted to be vulgar. They, 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 there was a huge thing about shock value, you know. Mm. And see, when we were growing up, Kate always thought of herself as ugly. And the funny thing is that she was a very beautiful child. She looked like a young Elizabeth Taylor. She was positively gorgeous, but she had this idea that she was ugly. And I remember all these long scenes with my mother where my mother would be telling her how beautiful she was and if she would just wear this dress and just walk this way. And Kate was just hell-bent on the fact that she was ugly and she would sort of try to be ugly. And um, she was very jealous of other people's beauty, terribly. Carrie, um, put this into context for us, in the context of the anti-Mary, of, of your concept. Or maybe give us your right. concept first. Yeah. And then put this, this, this rejection of beauty into context. Right. Well, the idea for the anti-Mary came really from looking at who Our Lady is and who her, what her values are and comparing that with women today. And it was one of these things where it was incredibly striking to see, you know, not only is Our Lady, uh, you know, Rejected, but in fact, the very things that make her Our Lady, she's the Virgin Mother, after all, both of those elements are rejected in our culture. Those are the things. Virgin and Mother. Virgin and Mother. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that the culture is really going after and telling women that they don't need motherhood and they don't need to remain virgins, that their purity and their motherhood are are no longer important. And so it's fascinating to see someone like Kate Millett and and those that, you know, obviously Mallory has, has described and helped me out with it tremendously in the book. To just see how they 
were really, they, they just got caught up in this ideology. It was kind of a, a cocktail. I call it a deadly cocktail of Marxism and the occult. And um, there was really this dark effort because of the anger. And you can see this, you know, these little girls who were raised, most all of them had issues with their mothers. And um, Kate particularly obviously had, had issues with her father as well. Um, and this is really what drove them was this incredible brokenness because they found sort of this sisterhood. They found this connection. They found this lifeline, um, this attention um, in, the, in this notion of sisterhood. And so that, that was really where a lot of these ideas started off. But um, as Mallory has pointed out, it was really an effort at destruction. It was, it was trying to get rid of the patriarchy, which, of course, was a very Marxist idea. Um, and they just went at, at it with gusto by pr trying to promote eroticism and homosexuality and um, the occult and all of these different elements that we now kind of think of as just normal in, in the everyday culture. Carrie, yes, and you know that Kate um, really uh, developed the idea of one of her fondest desires was to smash all taboos. Mm. Every taboo in Western Christian Judaic civilization, taboos like, you know, homosexuality or um, ped pedophilia, uh, all of the things oh. that really were utterly taboo in our civilization, these women set out to smash every taboo. Now think about that. Smashing the taboo of bestiality, the taboo of child sex. Kate was a great promoter of child sexuality. She thought one of the healthiest things that could exist in the world is sexual activity and erotic activity between a grown woman and a little girl or a grown man and a little boy. Yeah. And she was very into this. I mean, these people were, in my opinion, truly wicked, wicked, wicked people. And the idea of virginity was absolutely loathsome loathsome. The sooner you could lose your virginity, the better. I mean, everything was perverse. Everything was the opposite of the good. You, you, you called this group of women the lost girls, mm -hmm. right? right. Uh, and, yeah. it, and not only what they yeah. were promoting was to be lost, but they themselves were lost. Mm -hmm. Gracie, do you have a question? Oh, no. Uh, yes, I do have a question. <laughs> Carrie, tell mm -hmm. me, you connected... Uh, I, uh, I've heard and I've understood, and I, I think I... I I understand, at least, the connection between feminism and Marxism. Mm -hmm. But right. the occult. You threw me mm -hmm. at the occult. <laughs> Can you yeah, make that no, connection for us? Uh, this is a fascinating piece. I mean, I started paying attention to um, some of the lesbian literature and different things that are out there. And um, Lilith was a name that kept coming up. So I started mm -hmm. researching this. Who was Lilith? You know, we hear about the Lilith Fair. It was mm -hmm. a festival, music festival. After Hurricane Harvey, there was a fund set up called the Lilith Fund for women to get abortions after that hurricane demolished um, parts of Houston. And so I thought, who is this woman? And um, it, it basically turns out that um, it's a demon that goes, the stories are told even before scripture. And um, she's been called the, the patroness of abortion. Um, you know, there's all these connections. Even the word lullaby actually comes from the Arabic um, to keep Lilith away. Um, yeah. So it, it's there's this fascinating history that's there, and I think we, we also can speak of a Jezebel spirit. I talk about that in the book, um, but I, but we see this crop up all over the place. Where's the, uh, this goddess worship, and there's 
Um, you see even someone like Marianne Williamson, when she's, you know, running for president, and yet she's very new agey. So it's become something that we've just kind of taken on. We've, we don't even realize the role that the occult and, and Wicca are playing in our culture today. And, you know, Wicca, actually, there are more adherents to Wicca at this point than there are people that are practicing Presbyterianism. Oh, yeah. um, so it's definitely on the rise and something that people are very involved in. And it was, uh, Mallory helped clarify and, and really reveal how much that was also involved um, with these lost girls, that they they very much had this sense of of worshiping goddesses and and being involved in the occult. Well, you know, wherever you have paganism, when you throw out God, when God is expelled from the picture, you have paganism. And whenever you have paganism, you have child sacrifice, and you have uh, witchcraft. They are absolutely inevitable. Mm-hmm. They come in immediately. There's that space that godlessness leaves. And in comes child sacrifice, and in comes uh, witchcraft. What's really interesting, I think, uh, Carrie, especially in your book, was the is the notion that there's an anti-Marian spirit mm-hmm. animating all of this, mm-hmm. and it's got um, it's got its feet in the occult, it's got its feet in in uh, feminism. Mm-hmm. and and it's it's an ugly spirit that's kind of devouring. Women. Yeah. And And men. I think that's a a great point because, um, you know, people think I mean it like an antichrist, the way Revelation speaks of one person. And um, St. John speaks in one of his letters about a spirit of the antichrist. And that's really much more the way that I I mean it, that it's something sort of taken hold of us. And um, you can see just how prevalent it has become in our culture. When you start paying attention to it, in fact, I had one friend that said, you know, when you see the anti-Mary, you can't unsee it mm-hmm. um, because it's just so prevalent in the culture, everything from poly, um, politics, Hollywood, magazines, fashion industry, all of these areas are really controlled by this um, this ideology and, and these elite women who are, you know, you can't get in edgewise if you're pro-life. Um, they, they just won't allow these things in. So, yeah, it, it's definitely something that has has gripped women, and there's no real alternative voice to it that that we have been able to provide for women who don't want to think this way. They don't even realize that they think this way because it's just the only way that's there. Um, so, I think that's a, one of the real challenges that we have is to say, look, this isn't normal to think that it's okay to kill your children through abortion. <laughs> this isn't normal to think that your husband is the enemy. This isn't normal to think that the family is a bad thing. Um, so I, I think that there's, um, we have a lot of incredible hope in, in terms of what can happen in the future, but we also have to recognize where we're at at this stage and how much it is controlling um, not just the secular culture, but also Catholics as well. We, we very much kind of wrapped up in this mindset. Well, it isn't normal, but it also isn't healthy. No, it, it's, it's very exactly right. unhealthy. There seems mm-hmm. to be a current worship of the ugly, Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody from Madonna to Rihanna to, if you look at Vogue magazine or Gentleman's uh, uh, GQ, uh, these magazines used to be full of beauty. One page after another, more gorgeous than the next. Mm-hmm. Everything was so beautiful. If you pick up one of those magazines now, you are so struck by the, uh, the, the artistic ugliness. I mean, mm-hmm. they are working so hard, so hard at ugliness. It's it's just a like a new art form. Is how <laughs> ugly can you be? How further can we go mm-hmm. with the horror of ugliness? It's 
deeply frightening. My husband is very upset over it. <laughs> he loves looking all at the gentlemen. Women. All the true gentlemen are upset. <laughs> you know, Carrie, you mentioned something. You mentioned about how even in Catholic circles, we're we're mm-hmm. absorbing this. Mm-hmm. I've been watching. Mm-hmm. I've I have older children and younger children, and I've seen a definite change between my older and my younger. Mm-hmm. Around the parents, the parents, uh, the way they're raising their their girls, especially, mm-hmm. I find that they and these are good Catholic parents that you know are 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 really they feel and and I think they are to a certain extent conscious of of wanting the right things for their daughters, mm-hmm. and and I don't and and they do want the right things for their daughters, but I see them leaning into all sorts of things without even knowing what they're doing. For instance, mm-hmm. um, sports. Now that's going to sound a little strange, but. I find in the last few years, the parents of girls are wanting them to do rough contact sports or yeah. semi-contact sports like, like uh, flag football and, mm-hmm. and soccer. And this, and where I live in my community, this was unheard of a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But now, and okay, maybe I'm going a, a little far away from the mm-hmm. anti-Mary, but it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, we parents, even with the best of intentions, are falling into these ideas of making right. their daughters less womanly or the, mm-hmm. uh, less traditionally womanly because mm-hmm. they think that they're going to add uh, more chances of success to their daughters' lives, right? Mm-hmm. They're more like men. Right. And, and when you go down that road, you get, well, men are more vulgar, men are more, in general, more uh, less rough. chaste, well, more you have a, yeah, <laughs> You have a distortion of both, obviously, is going to happen when you, when you have um, women who are trying to be like men. Because men then don't know how to respond. And that, you know, that was one of the things that I did in my book was try to make sure that um, I, I didn't beat up on men. You know, we've had 50 years of beating up on mm-hmm. men and blaming them for everything. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to explain why, you know, men don't like to fight with women. And I think that mm-hmm. that has a lot to do with it. This is why we don't have priests standing up and talking about this more readily because they don't want to get involved in this. And, and they know that women um, will come after them, too. I mean, I think that's the other element um, that, that we have to recognize. But, yeah, I think it's incredibly difficult, again, because the culture is so strong and controls so much of the message. And I have deep, deep sympathy for parents, I especially, you know, all these stories that we hear of my daughter was really faithful and then she went to high school or she went to college. Um, again, there's no alternative voice that that little girl is hearing other than the culture. And she's being targeted by pop music, by movies, you know, all of these things are coming at her with one message. And so there's all kinds of struggles going on between what the daughter wants, what the, the parents want, you know, all kinds of things. So I, I think it's one of these things where we have to start really paying attention to what is happening in the culture and what, you know, these questions like, is this helping edify my daughter? Is this helping with the, the, the bigger picture of her life? Or is this just pushing her in a direction where she's maybe not even comfortable going, where it's, you know, being assertive and aggressive and all of those things that I know I was pushed into. And I finally had to stop and say, look, this is not who I am fundamentally. Why do I feel this compulsion to do this? And again, it's it's just the the loudness, the megaphone that that the culture has. Well, you you know, one of the dominating things right now that we can't run away from bringing up that's very, very essential and important right now is the whole issue of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. You see, I had a dear friend whose daughter was a genius and a gorgeous girl, just beautiful. She dressed so beautifully. She was so feminine. She went off to Harvard. From the time she started Harvard in September until she came home for Thanksgiving, she had a complete altering of her personality. And she developed this incredible disrespect for her parents. She decided her mother was an idiot. Her mother was the enemy. And why? I asked her, why are you this way about your mother? Well, she doesn't believe in same-sex marriage. 
Mm. So my mother is she's a racist. I've seen this happen. She's a sexist. Mm-hmm. I've seen this happen in uh, people close to us yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. And she turned no, against and her parents over this, this issue. And it's the same ideology, really. I mean, it's. I think you could call it the fourth wave of, of feminism because it's the exact same ideology that's motivating homosexuality. It all stems from this, again, root of the 1960s. Yes, and you're not a good person if you mm-hmm. don't believe Right. The two men can marry each other. Right. I was That's I was idea. struck in the book about um, kind of pulling the veil behind the that this was it was not about a sisterhood. Mm. That mm-hmm. that the especially at the very beginning, feminism was um, rooted in incredible animosity mm-hmm. and envy and infighting, and it really I think a lot of these young girls are look searching for identity. And, and a sense of, of community within like thinkers, and they're not going to find that unity. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it would be nice to, if we can speak about the, the antidote to that. What is the thing that brings us all together? Well, let's talk about that when we come back from our break. Let me remind our listeners that this is Conversations with Consequences, the podcast and radio show of the Catholic Association, and we'll be right back in a few seconds. Welcome back, friends, to Conversations with Consequences, the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association. I'm your host, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm, in, I'm joined in studio today by my friend and colleague, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer, and two new friends, Carrie Gress, the author of The Anti-Mary, and I'm not saying that whole title right, am I? Anti-Mary I'm Exposed. Exposing me. <laughs> I forgot yes. Exposed. And also, we have our new friend, Mallory Millett who has been so kind as to um, share really interesting insights about the beginning of feminism, which I think she shared with you for your anti-Mary book, right? Yeah, Mary? we ended up talking a great deal bef- while I was writing this book and just getting insights from her. You know, things that you don't read about, I think generally you get sort of a glossed over version of feminism, although Phyllis Chesler has also published something recently that really exposed a lot of ideas. But, um, but it, yeah, Mallory was just invaluable in terms of helping me really get to the root of what this movement was about and the, the the women that were so influential, what it is that they were really driving And this at. is the first time we've ever met each other That's is right, today. In person. Oh, yeah. is that so? Right Everything here on Conversations with Consequences. That's right. That's right. <laughs> here you go. Conversations with Consequences. Mm-hmm. Carrie, but, well, during the break, I'm sorry, during the break, you mentioned uh, something that was so in- so interesting you mentioned about what do what do we really want what does every person mm-hmm. really want yeah yeah no i think this gets back to the question of happiness and what women really desire and you know of course these lost girls had incredibly broken souls i mean even betty friedan um in the feminine mystique is talking about that ache with no name and of course you know you look at that ache and you're like no it's god she yeah. wants god mm-hmm. she just doesn't know that's, that's what right. she wants um and yet we all have that desire and so um the second half of the book i really looked at you know what are the desires of of every woman's heart and how do those relate to who our lady is i think sometimes she can feel so one-dimensional and very saccharine and you know she's just a kind of a statue in a side chapel at her church and how do we really relate to her and yet um if we look at who our lady is she really offers us some 
incredible clues. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, when I was researching the anti-Mary that came up over and over and over again was that every person that had ever had an apparition of Our Lady, they said immediately, she's the most beautiful woman you have ever seen in your life. And St. Bernadette said, you would, you'd want to die just so you could see her mm. again. She was so beautiful. Oh. And yet we know beauty is the desire, one of the desires of every woman's heart. Um, And yet, of course, as Mallory's pointed out, we're in this contest for ugliness, I think, now, (laughs) because we don't understand what real beauty is. We we think of it more in terms of of sensuality or shock value or pushing the envelope. Or something Um, that's been uh, imposed on us from outside. Most of it has been imposed on us from from the outside, certainly. Um, So I think that that is one of the the key elements. And then, of course, um, another one is that women really desire to do the good. Um, and certainly Our Lady, you know, because her soul was so pure and her will her will was so tightly united with God's that she knew to do the good, whereas we have good intentions, but they might not be doing what's good. So even if you look at these lost girls and you, you see the things that they thought that they were doing that were good, it's, you know, of course, they're, you know, helping women get illegal abortions and all <laughs> kinds of things. These were not authentically good things, but they they had that desire again for mm-hmm. goodness. And then, of course, the third thing is that we all want to be known and loved. And um, Our Lady, uh, again, because she had this deep, deep relationship with God the Father knew, and the whole Trinity, she knew that she was profoundly loved. And I think you can see, again, these, these lost girls, they didn't have that sense. They had this, you know, the ache with no name. And um, so all three of these pieces really come together. And this is what Our Lady offers us. This is what the Church offers us. And the more that we're united in prayer with God, the more His grace can shine through us. And then those desires of our heart are met in very unique and beautiful ways. We don't become cookie cutters. We don't become doormats. But we become like the saints, very unique um, expressions of who God is. And I think that's what Our Lady offers us is this incredible model of how do we follow that and and know that we will attain these things when we are trying to follow her. Carrie, you make a, a really interesting um, point about emulating our Our Lady and and being the mother of several girls. Sometimes I hear from people, oh, she looks just like you. Oh, she acts just like you. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because they're around me all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to me and they're listening to me. And, and they're definitely, you know, genetically <laughs> similar right. uh, to me. But... But turning, becoming more like Our Lady requires us to be close to her. Yeah. And, and what, what are your thoughts about our culture's kind of separation from Our Lady, especially yeah. in, in separated churches? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a loaded question. We could talk for a whole hour on that point. But um, I, I think the first thing, of course, is that it's a challenge to understand who she is because of the fact that the, the virtues of meekness and compassion and, uh, you know, fo- following God's will, these are not popular ideas in our culture. So we even have to, like, learn how it is that what these mean. Um, and I know that that was a real challenge in my own life, trying to understand what it really means to be meek, that meekness doesn't mean you're a doormat, but in fact that you're in control of who you are. Um, and, and obviously she embodies that. And so I, I think that's the other beauty is 
it's not that we're just reaching out for her. She's reaching out for mm-hmm. us. And this is what the rosary does, um, is fortifies and solidifies that relationship. And we come to know her. And, you know, Marian consecration is another incredible way where we can draw closer to her and really say, I want you to be my mother. Um, because we know every time that we draw closer to her, she's going to bring us to her son. Well, and you've written uh, a lot about the Marian apparitions, right? And she mm-hmm. seems to always come not just to the beautiful little <laughs> shepherd <laughs> shepherd kids or right. she's coming to humanity at yeah. specific important moments in the mm-hmm. history of humanity absolutely um no and that and that's the beautiful thing is just to see she she wants to help us she is with us and she all we have to do is reach out for her and ask for her to help us it's it's not a complicated thing and i think that we and that's part of again this whole agenda is is just trying to make us forget or not know what it means to have a mother Hmm. Um, because if you can get rid of the icon of a mother and a real woman then it's very hard for people to understand who this amazing mother is that wants to be involved in our lives so it's almost this effort to sort of erase motherhood and authentic femininity in such a way that's super tricky that we can't get to her and then we can't get to her son because we can't get to her i mean yeah it's it's um there's definitely a thought process behind all of this well there's this drive to separate the human race from the two qualities of masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. If a man is truly masculine, he has all those features of strength and everything of masculinity, but there's also something very gentle about mm-hmm. a truly masculine man. A gentle femi- mm-hmm. Yes, and <laughs> femininity, femininity yeah. has all of the grace and beauty of femininity but there's also something very strong about a truly feminine woman but uh, in in our country today now we don't want to acknowledge masculinity and femininity and the mm-hmm. fact that they are entirely different from one another well and incredibly complementary yes mm-hmm. and, right? and they, they make m- us whole yes we, and, we and this whole unisex thing is a complete weakening of the entire human race i feel mm-hmm. it completely dilutes the whole human race and also there's so much fun and beauty and glamour involved mm-hmm. in the interplay between the masculine and the feminine. Mm-hmm. That dance between oh. the sexes is the most fun thing in life. Mm-hmm. And if you can keep it, if you keep it properly within the right boundaries and the right channels, it, it spices up oh, your entire life. Even life at the office. And, you know. <laughs> it's so much Goodness fun, Christ. you know. There's so but much you know what I mean? I mean, a... <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, a flirta- a, a, you know, a gentle, a light flirtation can be fun for everyone involved and not, oh my gosh, I'm saying horrible things on you. No, no. I'd like to pull us back into the many beautiful books that Carrie Gress has <laughs> I'm just, a, I'm just agreeing with Mallory. No, one, it's just one, that it is a dance. It's, it's a dance. It's a dance and it doesn't, between the man and the woman. And God created this dance and it's there to be danced, you know. It's there to have a lot of fun with. Mm. And now, I mean, I find that the men in our country have been completely demasculated. They have been emasculated entirely. I'm so tired of all these weak men who now are afraid to say anything. They're afraid to do but anything. But they've been bullied. I mean, yeah, this is really fundamentally what it comes down to, exactly, to is they can't sort of figure out... Or they've the been dance, their, they don't know what the or dance they've been their are. worst, no. as right. opposed to being the gentleman that they're right. called to be. Yeah, they don't even know what the dance is anymore. These right. poor men. Yeah. I feel so bad for them, but also I have so many girlfriends who simply cannot find a man. Yeah, I mean no, they can't true. find a man anywhere. They're either gay or they're on drugs or they're 
They're, you know, the men are just throwing themselves on the rocks right now. Mm-hmm. I think we need to bring back the men and bring well, back the I think beauty it's of gotta, masculinity. It's got to start with the women, though. Women are the soil yes, of the culture. And if are. you don't have women, because women also, you know, Fulton Sheen has this gorgeous quote about how yes. women are really you, the, the, the level of civilization. And if you have yes. women who are trying to act like men, then that's what you're going to end up with. So if we have women that understand really what what feminism is, femininity rather is, what yeah. living out this living this out beautifully is, then the men will follow. Yes, um, she says. Okay, you have a great Mae West quote. Oh, actually, right? no, I got it from Mallory. Mallory. Yeah. You stole it from yeah. Mallory. I did. Mallory, can you share that? Mallory, Mallory, Mallory should tell fantastic. us that. She says. She says. When women go wrong, men go. Men run right after them. Mm-hmm. When, no, when women go wrong, uh, no, no. When oh, wait, no. When women go wrong, men go right after them. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. she meant as a double entendre, you know. Sure. But but Bishop Sheen was saying that the level of a civilization can be measured by the civilization of the women. Right. The women. So it has to start with women. It, it's yes. the women that set not, the standards for male behavior, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and, Unfortunately, in the dating culture and, and, mm-hmm. and in all the interactions. Yeah. yeah. The minute the women all started slaughtering the babies, that brought the entire civilization down to the yeah. rock bottom. That's Carrie. the worst thing you can possibly do. And the men, the men weren't for that in the beginning, you mm-hmm. know. When we were marching up Fifth Avenue demanding abortion and I was in those marches, the men were on the sides. And you'd have thought it was a Thanksgiving Day parade. I mean, it was oh. a huge bank bank of people on either side of the Fifth Avenue, and they were throwing things at us, mm-hmm. sneering at us, swearing at us, screaming at us. They were never going to kill their babies. They were not for abortion. It didn't take long at all for the women to talk the men into mm-hmm. abortion. I've never heard that perspective. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the men the were, men were adamant. They were livid. They were screaming at us from the sidelines. And within a very short time, they started thinking, oh, gee, uh, free love. It's what oh, we always wanted. If I get pregnant, I don't have to pay for it. I don't have mm-hmm. to acknowledge it. I mm-hmm. don't. And they mm-hmm. fell right in on it. And so mm-hmm. the women really dehumanized the men mm-hmm. in our culture. Carrie, you mentioned something really lovely that's in your book, and I think is the source of your most recent book to come out soon. And that's women as soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's it's the soil can be a fertile. Mm-hmm. Soil in which things can grow, and and you can see the beauty of creation through that soil, mm-hmm. and through that growth, and and when I was thinking and, and meditating on the notion of soil, I thought that's what our home is. Mm-hmm. Is the yeah. home is that fertile ground for mm-hmm. for not only our children but the the people who come and visit into our home, and and that is the foundation in which we're going to change this culture to be mm-hmm. a culture of beauty again. Yeah. Could you could you speak a little bit about the sources mm. of that idea of women sure. as soil? Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's a fascinating idea. And actually, Our Lady is referred to as soil um, back in the 3rd or 4th century. It's, it's a very old concept. Um, and, it, and it makes sense. I mean, even looking at our own culture where we're sterilizing ourselves. We, mm. we understand that, you know, if you think about farming today, everybody's worried about the condition of soils. If you're, you know, what are you, what preservatives are you adding to it? What are you adding to it that is a de- detriment? Um, and yet this is what contraception does. You know, if, first of all, you just want to sterilize yourself. But if something happens to grow, you know, then we have abortion to take care of it. And um, this is part of the lie that the women, of course, are, are, are meant to be powerful and, and control things. And not fruitful. Um, so again, this is another area where Our Lady can really show us 
the beauty of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness comes when we are actively receptive, both on a biological level, but on a spiritual level as well. When, you know, think of a religious nun. She has all of these amazing, this amazing relationship with God, and he plants a seed in her soul, and it grows. They tend to be the most beautiful women, too. If you've ever yeah, paid attention, like striking. the Sisters of Life, right. they're gorgeous. Right. Well, but then there's someone like Mother Teresa. I mean, she had this seed planted when she was in Ireland, and then she, she's, you know, people thought she was crazy. What are you doing moving to India? And this idea took on a whole life of its own, and she worked herself out of a job. Well, this is exactly what a mother does. The seed is planted on a biological level, and she sort of works herself out of a job over time. But Mother Teresa, objectively, is not a beautiful woman, and yet everybody says, oh, she's so gorgeous, she's so beautiful. You know, they're just really drawn to her. Again, we see when grace is working through us that that we are made beautiful. When When we stop seeking after that thing, then it comes to us when we're seeking out God's will. Um, so Theology of Home, it, it, yeah, it's, it was just an amazing book to write on the heels of the anti-Mary Exposed because they're almost two sides of the same coin. Um, the anti-Mary is really a recognition of what's happening in the culture and then how do we pull back from that. But the Theology of Home is more sort of going on offense. You know, instead of defending our faith and the ideas, it's really saying, look at what we have to offer. Look at how beautiful our families are. Look at how beautiful it is to be able to give an incredible home to the people that you love and also minister and love those who are your neighbors or even strangers. Um, well, that, and that the home isn't just a dormitory of people right. who happen to be related right. by blood. A bunkhouse, right. But yeah. but that it's a place of, of mm-hmm. respite. It's a place of gathering. It's right. a place of, of, of teaching, education, yeah. and celebration, and mourning. Yeah. No, all of those things. So we... Um, the, the, my co-authors and I really wanted to make sure that this book didn't feel like homework um, and that it was just this beautiful meditation on these incredible gifts that we we get from home, that it wasn't a sermon, it wasn't deeply theological or philosophical, but just enough to sort of start planning new ideas in our hearts about what happens at home. Um, so we look at these great concepts like light and nourishment and comfort and safety and hospitality um, and really delve into to what those things mean and just look at how, how much of an incredible gift this is, this idea of actually being a homemaker. You know, it's not a dirty word, which I think is what people, mm-hmm. how people view it in the culture today, but in fact, an incredible opportunity um, to, to really change the culture you know, from this small spot on the planet. Well, my basic thrust uh, in the past couple of years now has been that my thesis basically now in terms of everything I'm writing and talking about and philosophizing about is that the way I see it is that men run the world, but women need to run society. Mm-hmm. And once women decided they were just like men and they mm-hmm. took briefcases and all gone up, went out and got law degrees and everything, hey, no. society <laughs> went to hell. <laughs> the lawyer, <laughs> right. Society totally went to hell. Mm-hmm. And now we've got nothing but a pretty filthy society. You walk in the streets of New York and you just simply can't believe it. But when we gave up having the Judeo-Christian Ten Commandments, as the basis of our life. The Ten Commandments are it. And in the Christian Judaic home, the Ten Commandments are taught. And the children are taught from birth the Ten Commandments. And then all of that goes out of the home. Mm 
into every department, every society, every bureau, every uh, corporation. Everything comes out of the home. And that's how those things flourish mm-hmm. in society is because they're taught at mommy's knee. Mm-hmm. And so that's... Well, and we know that, that the church, the Catholic church, has, has spoken about the family and the home being the domestic church. Yes. It's, it's where the church is enlivened. It's where it thrives. It's yes. where faith is taught. It's where virtue is lived. Yes. And, and we should strive to make a bright and cheerful home. Mm-hmm. I love that phrase. Well, and it's fascinating, too, because that was one of the things, you know, talking about theology of home, it's not just in the home, but all of these things that we mentioned, you know, comfort, safety, nourishment, light, they also map on to the church, of course, as well. The church being mm-hmm. Holy Mother Church, mm-hmm. you know, we, we speak of it in, in the feminine. Um, so it, it's an interesting thing to see how all of, the, you know, this amazing mind of God, how he was able to take these very feminine ideas of of the church and Holy Mother Church, and and we see them in our own homes on a very much smaller scale, but it's the same pattern of, you know, redemption and nourishment and forgiveness and, you know, all of those things that we know happen in our churches every day. You know, as women, going back to the idea of beauty, what we bring to the home is that devotion mm-hmm. to beauty. Yeah. To saying, you know, right. th- everything has, the things have to match and there has mm-hmm. to be a sense of, of, of peace in the way the furniture is mm-hmm. arranged. And and men, um, I don't blame them. They don't understand. <laughs> right. They don't have... <laughs> throw they pillows. Say, they right? definitely don't so go Why are you doing pillows. that? Why are you right. making the bed? We're going right. to unmake it later. <laughs> and I think that's another one of these important ministries that we need to give other women because so often we think of these things as just frivolous or unimportant. And yet they're they have an importance because they're they're representing something much deeper than mm-hmm. what we're what we they're recognize. Fundamental. They're right. fundamental. Right. Well, and and even these are the things we're not we shouldn't be getting from our parish. We don't mm-hmm. we don't want father talking about home decorating. <laughs> but we need to talk about it among ourselves as as Catholic women and encourage each other in in these different ways instead of feeling like feeling guilty that maybe we're being too frivolous or um, well, and also secular. know that it's a good to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's a good yes. thing to want to be right. at home. It's a good thing to want to invite people over. It's right. a good thing to want to share the beauty that your family has created and and to want to pass on that both to your own children but to all the people that come by, sharing the recipe right. or or where you get a nice... And people are starving for that. Yeah. I and mean, I think truly yeah, really are. that is people, one of the People things. are tired of the disorder of their yeah. homes and their right. and, and the that, that horrible feeling of rush. Mm-hmm. You get home and throw something or, on the table and nothing looks right. And, and they don't know. I have friends... Or just grab something in the refrigerator. Like, but I have young younger usually friends that, that have, they don't understand how to create an ambiance mm-hmm. that, that radiates peace and, and harmony. That's the agony is that these things are actually being lost. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And how are they going to come back? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's the real yeah. terror of the whole thing is uh, I, think I mean a beautiful centerpiece mm-hmm. at the dining room table mm-hmm. is so powerful and important. Mm-hmm. These things are not remotely frivolous. You know, and yeah. you know in a utilitarian age we tend to shuffle off those things and say, "Oh, oh that's not useful, that's not useful." Mhm. But your book, Carrie Gress, Theology of the Home. <laughs> no, right? it is incredibly it's attractive. It's a very beautiful book, so and it's full of Thank beautiful you. pictures of, of luminous homes, of luminous Catholic homes. Well, and, thank you. And, and how, to, how to make that happen. Yeah, no, it was a really book. fun book to work on, and I just can't wait to share it. It's, it's, I, think it's, I think women are, are going to love it. It's just, there's nothing really like Carrie it. And Carrie has four children, and she's expecting her fifth. That's right. And she's come out with two books in 2019. <laughs> yeah, no, she's putting oh my gosh. I can't. Uh, understand how she does this. See, a man, this. a man could never do that and keep a beautiful, <laughs> luminous home. 
Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. It's been such a delightful thank conversation. You. Oh, thank you. It's Carrie, been a tell us, tell our listeners how they can find your books, and, yeah. or when to expect your new book, and how they can find your older. Um, Theology of Home is out uh, September twenty fourth, and um, I also have the website theologyofhome.com, which does the exact same thing we did with the book: try to really encourage women in their faith, but also in, in their homes and their daily living. And then, um, of course, uh, I have the website, carriegress.com, which has all of my articles and links to books and projects like that. Well, Carrie's brilliant, so I would encourage. <laughs> she really is. Sure is. She's really brilliant, and I would encourage everyone to look to those resources because they're, they're what today's woman need to kind of stem the tide of this anti-Marian spirit that's consumed us. And she has a great sense of beauty. When you look at this book, <laughs> she really this does. newest book of hers is simply gorgeous. All right, enough already. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Carrie and Mallory. We have to do it again. Oh, we'd love to. I hope so. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. This week, as is customary, Father Roger Landry gives us a short but brilliant homily on this coming Sunday's Gospel. Please stay tuned for Father Landry and do look up his daily homily written in audio on his website, catholicpreaching.com. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with all of us this Sunday. In the gospel we'll hear, the apostles won't speak to Jesus about money. They won't ask him for fame. They won't ask him, like Solomon, for worldly wisdom and prudence. They won't ask him for health or long life. They'll ask him for something that they discovered was far more important than all of these things combined. They will beg him, increase our faith. The first reading we'll hear from Habakkuk, the prophet, will tell us explicitly that the just man lives by faith. and The apostles wanted to be such faithful men. Their prayer for increased faith shows us their humble recognition that up until then they were not living enough by faith and that they needed the Lord's help to do so. To ask for an increase in faith means to ask for two things, because faith means two things. Faith means first an obedient trust in God, the type of trust, for example, we see in Abraham, our father in faith, or in Mary, our mother in faith. Likewise, for us to ask God to increase our faith is to ask him, like in Abraham and like in Mary, to increase our trust in him so that we might confidently obey him in everything, but especially in the most difficult times and circumstances. Each of us knows in our humble moments how much we need to grow in the type of trust that we see in Abraham and Mary. But when we pray to God to increase our trust in him, how will he respond? The increase will not normally and entirely be an infusion from on high. Most often, God will answer our prayer, by putting us in circumstances that require such real deep trust in him and then giving us himself to remain faithful. In each of those circumstances, when we trust in him rather than in worldly wisdom or the advice of human gurus, we will grow in faith. The second meaning of faith is the content of what we believe. We believe in something on the base of a trust in someone. And we believe the contents of faith are, 
on the basis of our trust in God who reveals those truths. The meaning of increase our faith here is to increase what we find in the creed and profess each Sunday in the catechism of the Catholic Church and embedded throughout the church's liturgy. To ask increase our faith means to ask him to give us a greater knowledge and understanding of the truths of faith. This Sunday, there's a particular application of this request for greater trust in God and greater understanding of the truths he has revealed. The bishops of our country have designated the first Sunday of October Respect Life Sunday so that Catholics throughout our land may become just by living fully our faith with respect to the dignity of all human life. While there are many challenges to the dignity of the human person made in God's image, the bishops ask us to focus particularly on abortion, which is really the root of almost all of the rest of the problems against human dignity. We know by our faith that every fetus is not only an individual life, but one made in the image and likeness of God. We know that Jesus said, whoever welcomes one such child in his name welcomes him. And whoever welcomes him welcomes the one who sent him. We know in Jesus that every human life is precious, that it's unique with a soul infused directly by God. Jesus says that everything we do or fail to do for such a child, he takes personally. Amen, amen, I say to you, as often as you did it for the least of my brothers and sisters. And who is less than a little child growing in the womb? You did it to me. Today, the church wants us to ask the Lord for an increase in faith with relation to the dignity of the unborn child made in God's image. Like Abraham and Mary, we're called to live by faith in God, even and especially when it's in contrast with the prevailing winds of the world. A trust in God should always lead to fortitude to act for him, confident that he will always be with us. This is what St. Paul will describe in today's second reading. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Don't be ashamed, then, of the testimony of the Lord. When we're growing in faith, we're not ashamed. And so we come on Sunday to receive Jesus' body and blood in the Mass, asking him to increase our faith and to help us to live by it in all its practical applications. Profess that under the appearance of the tiny host, Jesus is present in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And that faith strengthens us to go out and recognize Jesus in his image and likeness in everyone, including the unborn. In response to the culture of destruction, violence, strife, and discord all around us, we will ask the Lord to fortify our love for him and our neighbor, however young, small, and vulnerable. And we ask him to stir into a flame this gift of faith and to give us the courage to live by it always. God bless you. Thank you so much, Father Landry, for another beautiful homily. Unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your host, Gracie Christie, joined today by my colleague, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer. If you've been listening on the radio, thank you for listening to Conversations with Consequences on the Guadalupe Radio Network, 11 a.m. on Fridays. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast of our show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to the catholicassociation.org to subscribe for free and also to sign up for our TCA Clips daily email. Tell your friends about us. We'll talk to you next week.